Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, Dr. Dad's coming at you with another great episode. Dr. Nicholas, what's up, brother? Doing well, buddy. Uh, you know, we're a couple of weeks into, or I guess a few days into when we take some time off for the holidays. So I got, got to say, I'm looking forward to, you know, spending time with the family and just, you know, taking some taking some time because it's been just a crazy, <laughs> crazy couple of months. I know for you too. And, you know, I, I wanted to say this before, but um, I'm really sorry for the loss of your, your little fur baby. Oh man, I know. It was, that was rough this weekend, man. There's a, I'll have to tell you the story behind all that, but the Wardy family lost one of our fur babies. We lost our French bulldog on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, he was 12 years old, lived a nice, full, full, full beautiful life. Just, uh, you know, it was just his time, but uh, never makes it easier, right? So we, we were mourning a little bit uh, the last couple of days, but it's not hurting as much as it did Sunday, which is yeah. nice. But, well, yeah. maybe, uh, maybe our guest can help with some of the yeah work tools right yes that'd be good we have an amazing guest today you know i've i've heard about nlp which is neuro-linguistic programming from many people uh probably over the last five or six years man and the funny thing is is i never could dial it down to what exactly it is and i've always wanted to know more about it and finally today we get to talk to a master trainer her name is Jan Marzalek. She is the president of NLP Learning Systems Corporation. Um, she began this in 1982. And before she did this, she had 12 successful years in sales and sales training. Um, uh, NLP Learning Systems Corporation is the oldest and largest NLP training center in the Southwest with international programs in Canada, England, Hawaii, New Zealand, South Africa, Switzerland, and Zimbabwe. So Jan's 40 years of experience in the field of brain-mind research coupled with real-world business applications makes her training style and presentation dynamic, highly informative and entertaining. So we have an amazing, amazing guest. This woman uh, has been recognized as one of the most successful NLP trainers in the world. And uh, I've heard a lot about her already from many of the people she's actually already trained. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. This is such a pleasure. I always appreciate and value when I can share NLP with people from anywhere at any time. So right before we got on the call, you were diving in and I want to just kind of take off right where we were. You were explaining what exactly NLP is and we were getting into the, the gist of that. Can we, can we take off from there? I can. Uh, when people first came into NLP, they totally didn't understand what it was. They thought it was a self-improvement course where you could learn positive thinking and your world would be better. Well, it was so much more than that. It was that, and it was so much more than that. Neuro, brain, mind, linguistics, language, programming, a set of instructions to solve a problem. When you change a culture's language, then you change the culture. So 40 years ago, when I started teaching, I was teaching from a space of people were hungry. They'd heard about it. They wanted to know what it was. I didn't know what it was. So I was on the job training as much as I could be. And I started a class and I observed people learning this information. And quickly, I learned that it wasn't me teaching the information. It was me sharing the information. And sharing means that you go through exercises so that you can practice. You can practice being some parts of your brain that you weren't practiced in before. For instance, we have three channels of communication. The good news is there's only three. The bad news is 80% of the population has access to only one of those consciously. Well, I mean, that's a little scary. 15% uh, have access to one and a half or two of their channels of communication. And a very small 5% have access to all three of their channels. And even then, they are unconscious in places where they don't know that they're unconscious. So I started taking people through exercises to learn to open up those channels. One is visual, 
see what you see, look at the picture, look up in the sky, see the bird, using visual words. Second channel is auditory. Hear the bird. What does the dog sound? What does the bird sound like? What were they saying to you? Describe that to me. And then kinesthetic, a fancy word for feeling. Well, that feels right. I, I can't quite grasp what you're you're giving me. Uh, can you run through that for me again? And so people that are visual that talk with people who are kinesthetic are talking two different languages and they don't recognize it. So we do this thing called presuppose we understand. And what I mean by that is we use words that we think the other people have the same meaning to. It's not true at all. So we've got these three channels of communication, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And when you learn how to use all three, what happens is it changes your interaction with people and understanding is exponentially raised. It's just phenomenal. Then you have the visual auditory kinesthetic inside. You've got the clairvoyant, the clairaudient, the clairsentient. And these are our ways of doing intuition. And what people didn't realize coming into NLP, myself included, was that NLP is really a course directed to making communication better with others, which is fabulous. But bottom line, NLP is about connecting more information with self, with self. So you increase your intuitive capabilities. You increase your abilities to listen to the voices inside your head. You increase your ability to get your outcomes because you learn the visual pictures. And if you can't see it, you can't create it. Visual is the only channel that goes into the future. Auditory stays in the present past. Kinesthetic stays now. So people have heard the expression, be here now. Well, if you're not here, you're there, wherever there is. And so if you're working on getting your goals and you're there, then you can't get your goals. If you're working on then and not now, you can't get your goals. So once again, language is very involved and very tied up with whether you can get your language, I mean, whether you can get your goals or not. People say, people who pray, people who do affirmations, people who do programming. Well, my programming, my prayers, my affirmations, they're not working. And so I say, well, speak them. And I listen, and by their tone, by the sound they make, I know what's wrong or what's not working correctly inside their head to prevent them from getting their goals. Oftentimes, it's just a slight twist here and a little adjustment there, an awareness of things. Understanding comes much later after the awareness, and all of a sudden, people are getting their goals much more frequently. Uh, that, in a nutshell, is kind of like the language part of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. In addition to the language part, there is the part that literally, and I mean that literally, literally builds bridges in your brain. There's four parts to the brain, the right side, the left side, the midbrain, the hindbrain. And we have learnings that we experience in each one of those brains based on the age we are. Like learning in the hindbrain is birth to four years old. These are approximations, not uh, ground in stone or black and white, they're gray. Then the midbrain is four years old to seven or when the baby teeth begin to fall out. And then the right brain is seven, baby teeth fall out, to puberty, which varies from person to person. And then the left brain is puberty until adulthood. For women, it's sooner than it is for men. Women basically reach adulthood about 21, 22. And men reach adulthood about 23, 24. So we continue to learn in these brains all the way up. And what you tell a child at the age of three is very different than what you tell a child at the age of six. And so we don't have the bridges back and forth between those, those brains 
And there's this technique called anchoring, which I can't get too deep into in a blog, but it's, it's a phenomenal process whereby you can take something from the past and neutralize it, um, build it up to be bigger. So you can take something that was unpleasant and neutralize it. You can take something that was pleasant and make it bigger and more prevalent. Uh, you can bring a stimulus coming into your world that causes you heartache and pain. And you can take that same stimulus and bring it into your world. And now it creates happiness and joy. So there's two parts to NLP. There's the language, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And then there are the emotional change techniques that teach people how to change their emotion and be in charge of their emotional reactions and responses. And for me, that's what made NLP so phenomenal was that people could really change. And it wasn't 20 years in hard labor to get you to change. It might be a 20 minute technique. So in a nutshell, that's the two parts of NLP, the language and the emotional techniques. There's lots of emotional techniques. Incredible. You know, I'm thinking, I mean, you're covering communication. You just hit it on the head from this whole brain mind aspect. And then I love how you're even talking about how we can literally use this as a tool for ourselves to adapt our environment better from an emotional and mental resilience place if we know how to navigate through through a, a technique like this. So that, that's awesome because as far as I knew until today, I just thought it was like something we used as a communication tool to just enhance our communication skills. And I mean, and that can be used for so many different people, right? I and mean, there's so many different professions, whoever just wants to connect better with people, this would be a very, very powerful tool. But even to connect with yourself and just to kind of help us navigate, like I'm saying, on our journey to deal with stressors and maybe even past emotional traumas from what I'm gathering from you uh, to dive back in and to find healing there as well. I agree. PTSD, which most people are familiar with the term, is a difficult process to heal in the psychological world, let's call it. And the PTSD can be healed with anchors, some conversation, some, some therapy, but anchors in order to take that negative place and literally you know, neutralize it so that you're not reacting from your adrenals all the time. So you, NLP makes people healthier. My, my focus as I got involved in NLP, I thought I would teach for three to five years. I wasn't interested in, in teaching. I, I love sharing the information. Don't get me wrong. And I did it for 40 years and I'm still doing it. So apparently, you know, my three to five years kind of continued on from there. I've taken it into the business world, uh, corporate America, took it to the board of directors and started at the top. And then I would train there. HR department so that they could take it to the rest of the company because it's not that hard to understand. It's easy to learn. Uh, I used to say it doesn't matter who the trainer is. I've since come to say, oh, it very much matters who the trainer is. Uh, they can install problems or they can install solutions. Um, that matters. And then when I took it around the world in my own fashion, I didn't necessarily go to those places I trained people that were from those places. And whereas I've certainly done my share of travel, training the people that were from those places made it easier for them to go back and open up centers or classes or wherever and teach from their model of the world, if you will, their worldview. One of the, one of the most powerful things that I find comes out of NLP is the ability to take judgment off. Now, given where we are today with COVID, which is certainly a, an, an earth transformation, uh, there are those people that sit in two different camps. Are you vaccinated? Are you unvaccinated? And what's happened is people have lost their value of allowing others to have a point of view and they've stepped rather deeply into the point of view of judgment. And unfortunately, judgment closes doors and shuts conversation down. 
so that people can't listen to what's really out here being said. They can't focus on what they should be doing for themselves. Um, language, inside world, clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, learning meditation. Meditation is easier when you can see inside your head. Seeing inside your head is not the same as seeing out here. Meditation, prayer is easier when you can hear inside your head, separating yourself from all that mind chatter that goes on and listening to uh, your angels, that voice inside, whatever people call that for themselves, the one that always knows the direction that you should go in. And then the last one, clairsentient, you know, I say to people, how do you feel? And they go, oh, I feel happy. And I go, well, what does that feel like? Well, I mean, it feels like uh, joy. Uh, well, happy. And I go, no, what are the sensations? If I was going to do happy, <coughs> how would I do it the way you do it? And so we're out of touch with the sensations in our body. We don't know how to describe to somebody what's going on for us. And in a health environment, when you go to a doctor, it would be useful if you could give specific sensations, what's really going on in your body, and then tell the, the doctor the emotional stress that you're under, because that's the emotional body, that's the auditory body, the physical sensations are the kinesthetic. And then to tell the doctor what you see as a possibility of how you can get better. Because if you can't see it and he can't give it to you visually, you're going to have difficulty getting well. So that sent me into the field of medicine so that I could train doctors chiropractors, naturopaths, nurses, nurse practitioners, massage therapists, that whole world, so that if the patient did not have the language, the skill, the aptitude to be able to communicate what was going on for them, unfortunately, just like a child with a parent, they don't understand, tummy ache, what does that mean? Well, you know, this tummy ache is high up in my chest and that's not the tummy or this tummy ache is way down below and that's not the tummy either. Again, we don't know how to describe what goes on for us in a process whereby 80% of the population does not have access to two of their channels consciously. And, and, you know, even when you open up all your channels, and let me tell you how to open up your channels. The way you open up your channels is you use words that are appropriate for that channel. You want to be visual? Use visual words. You want to be auditory? Use auditory words. You want to be kinesthetic? Use kinesthetic words. And when you go to start using those words, if they feel uncomfortable, you're doing it right. In class, we would have people tell stories to each other using the language that they didn't know. Oh, you never use the words auditory words? Great. You tell the story in auditory words only. It's hard. It's not designed to be easy. It's hard. And we're not born with all three channels. I have grandchildren. And honestly, up until about 10 years ago, I thought we were born with all three channels. Then I started having grandchildren and I'm studying them and I'm going, oh, wow, bummer. I was wrong all these years. I'm 75. I still find places where I'm wrong. That means I'm still learning. People are afraid to be wrong. And admitting you're wrong means you're still learning. And so I would look at my grandson and I'd go, hmm, visual, kinesthetic, no auditory. And so my daughter-in-law, who's a student of mine, would say to me, Okay, I'm going to tell him to put on his listening ears. And we did. And he would pay attention to us in a whole different way. So it would be wonderful if we could keep the children's channels open. 
But in the beginning, I didn't know that we didn't have all three channels. You come from a screaming family, you're apt to tune out the kinesthetic. You come from an abusive family, you're apt to tune out the visual. You come from a dysfunctional family, and you're going to turn off one, two, maybe even all three of your channels. And quite frankly, who in the world has not been raised in a dysfunctional family? It's not a question of whether you've come from dysfunction. It's a question of how great was the dysfunction? None of us are perfect. So here's the downside with mastering opening up all your channels. You go under stress, heat stress, cold stress, being called into the boss's office stress, uh, coming home late from work, you're having to deal with your wife or the children's stress. It doesn't take much. What happens when you go under stress is that you shut out everything except your primary system. So if you're a visual primary and your wife is an auditory primary, here's what we hear at the therapist's office. Well, she doesn't listen to me. He doesn't see it the way I see it. And the truth is, that's correct. Because under stress, you can't process anything. And by process, I mean, you can't hear. You, it doesn't go through the physical body in a way that you can absorb it and respond to it. I have a client right now, and I'm, I'm probably a little sharper to her than I should be. But I am because she requires that in order to change. I have other clients and I'm very gentle and soft-spoken with them <coughs> because that's what they require to change. We can't treat everybody the same way. So when you go to the doctor and you've got an ailment and something's wrong, you've shut out two thirds of what the doctor is telling you, unless he's on the same channel as you are. <laughs> That's a little scary. So nobody should go to the doctor by themselves. They should always take somebody with them. And then we have COVID, which sent everybody in by themselves. I mean, it's a terrible thing that's happening, but there will be many positive things that come out of it. We may not see that for a year or two, but we will see many positive things come out of this. Wow, Jen, I mean, it's, this has been such a, a beautiful description of, of communication. And I'm loving how you're sharing this because these are, these are things that I just, I wouldn't even think of thinking, I, I wouldn't have thought about, you know, to, to think that, you know, that one of the most important things for all of us as humans is to be in community and to be able to connect with one another. And to think that for all this time that we haven't actually been able to connect as effectively as we could because we're not communicating in a way that each of us understand. Um, I mean, that's, that's massive. That's such an important message for all of us to, to appreciate. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you, you're a wealth of information, obviously. Um, what, like, what would a process look like for somebody? So you said, like, you know, if we want to develop or enhance, say, the auditory, we want to develop or enhance the kinesthetic, we start speaking in those languages. Could you give us some examples of what that would look like in maybe each of those categories a little bit more? I know you did at the beginning, but it might be helpful to sort of anchor that in a little bit for people. Sure. You practice telling, so you want to become more visual. You practice telling stories using only visual predicates. I see the bird high in the sky, the blue sky with clouds. I see the clouds drifting across the sky, drifting as a kinesthetic. Uh, now the bird is, I see the bird flying low on the ground. It's grabbing a, a worm. Okay, now I've got two kinesthetics in there, flying and grabbing. So it's hard staying with just one channel. Um, in a visual, you practice holding your books about 20 degrees up when you're reading and the information will go in deeper. Why 20 degrees up? Because you're in a visual channel then. You're also triggering alpha brain frequencies, the right brain, which is where all that information is conveniently stored. That would be visual. When my granddaughter couldn't read in first grade, my daughter-in-law called and she goes, I don't know what it is. I've tried everything. I can't do it. So I came down to visit and I'm sitting there with 
her, I don't know, six years old, maybe, and her brother, seven and a half. And, and he's sitting there and he's going, I'm smarter than so-and-so. And I said, no, you are smarter in a different way. You're visual smart. This is an auditory smart. And I need to know how she's not doing auditory. And so I said to my granddaughter, we'll call her Mary. And I said, Mary, read to me. And she said, well, Nana, I can't. I said, I know. I want to see how you're not doing it so that I can see what we have to put in its place. And it was a simple thing. She read and I said, okay, now this time I want you to read this word that you don't know, but I want you to say it out loud and I want you to turn your eyes up. So that's a connecting a visual channel with an auditory channel. And we did that three times. You only have to do something in your brain three times before your brain will take that over and do it automatically on its own, especially if it's supported and encouraged. Um, by the second grade, she was reading at a fifth grade level. Uh, I look at dyslexia. Dyslexia is a brilliant pattern. And, you know, we, we treat these children as if they're, uh, they have a deficiency. They don't have a deficiency. They have a brilliant pattern. That's a genius pattern. ADD, ADHD, these are not a deficiency. These are a, a way to focus. Um, let me go into the auditory. I tell a story. It sounds okay. I describe it to people. They seem to be listening. They seem to hear and make sense out of what they're listening to as my words come across. That would be all auditory. Now, if... I'll come back to this in a second. Kinesthetic would be, let me shuffle these messages around. Uh, let me sleep on it overnight. Um, let me grasp this. Let me handle this a different way. Um, have you really considered moving this from here to there? Okay, so those are kinesthetics. After you've mastered the channels, let me give you some more information on that. If you see a person, and they're talking and their eyes look up like 20 degrees up they're visualizing they're inside their head they're seeing something that does not mean they know what they're seeing that means they're in their visual channel when somebody has their eyes and they're talking or listening and their eyes go back to side to side it's the old shifty eyed process and we were told we couldn't trust shifty eyed people well, there was actually truth in that, but it had nothing to do with what they, you know, the old wives tale. It had to do with if somebody's eyes are going back and forth side to side while I'm talking to them, I stop talking because what that means is they're talking inside their head. Again, they may or may not be conscious that they're doing that, but I know that because I'm watching them and the only pause in the conversation is out here because they didn't pause. So that would be an auditory. You would know their auditory by back and forth. Then the kinesthetic is, is downright, on your right. That would be kinesthetic. What's down left is auditory digital. And we won't go too deeply in that today. We'll just say that auditory digital is words only. It doesn't have sounds. The music is not there. The music is side to side. The air conditioner popping on and your ability to hear that, that's side to side. That's not down left. What's down left across the, from kinesthetic here, is where you store all your beliefs, your values. And how did you get your beliefs and your values? Well, somebody told them to you. Your mom, your dad, an older brother, an older sister, an uncle, a nun, a priest, a rabbi, a minister people in authority, and you believed it. So you, that's how we got our belief systems. That's auditory digital down left. So as you're looking at somebody, you look at their right, and that's their kinesthetic. You look at their left, and that's where they're talking to themselves or listening to somebody else tell them how the world should be. Well, when you begin to notice that, your job is to change the words that you use. 
And you want to use the words where their eyes go, because those are words that they already understand. So the first step is get all your channels open. How do you do that? Practice. Watch TV and watch where their eyes go. Now you're learning to be visual. Play that game called concentration and turn two cards over. And when they match, you win. And when they don't match, you lose your turn. That's a visual exercise. Uh, then you learn to be auditory. Read out loud. Reading out loud will give you much more information than reading silently. So if you've got something really important to read, read it out loud. Practice telling stories. Uh, practice using auditory words. And then down right is kinesthetic. And down left are words like, I think that, that makes sense. Well, I need to figure it out. Uh, I need you to tell me what that cost. It's much more of a business frame channel. In fact, in business today, we can almost say we've got four channels because auditory digital has very much become its own channel. It has its own world to live in. And it's not about changing other people's belief systems. Although when you study NLP, uh, you will expand your own belief systems. And when you expand your belief systems, you'll make room for including other people into your world where their belief systems don't have to match your belief systems. They can even be totally different. And if you're not challenging them and you're just simply recognizing, oh, well, that's a belief system. Okay, they're coming from auditory digital. Then there's no point in challenging it. There's just a matching the language. It's matching the language that creates rapport. And matching language exquisitely creates biological rapport. When you have biological rapport, you have telepathy. And isn't that an astonishing place to be as we move into the future of our world to know how many people who have studied NLP and have become exquisite with their own channels of communication that when they're visiting with, let's say I'm a customer and I'm visiting a decorator. And what happens is when we have biological rapport and we sit in a conversation and I tell the decorator, well, I don't really know what I want for a couch. And I kind of sort of think I know what the colors are, but I'm really not sure. And she starts or he starts suggesting things. And if they're able to calibrate me, if they're able to observe me, they'll see when I light up with this color and I don't light up with that color. What's going on is that the three of us are connecting. There's me the customer, there's them, the decorator, and then there's the third point of that triangle, which is where the telepathy occurs, which is the decorator customer. They are passing information back and forth because they are biologically in rapport. They use visual words, I use visual words. They use auditory words, I use auditory words. They start talking about price, etc. I get real comfortable about talking about price, et cetera, even if I'm not. And what happens is an exquisite level of communication that what I think I see in my brain all of a sudden is what shows up in my living room. And I look at the decorator and I go, you're brilliant. When really what happened was we were in such deep rapport that she was able to pull out of my brain what I could not give her in my language. And that's the reason we want to be in rapport with people. When there's no rapport, there's no communication. I feel like I was never taught how to communicate properly. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm like, man, we were never given these tools from early on in life of like really connecting with other people and understanding that like there are these three channels and that you have to be able to find that connection. And like you're saying, build rapport with people know how to talk on that level. And even just recognize, like you're saying on the, the individual that you're, I'm sure like 
for you, Jan, when you walk up to people like immediately in seconds, you can probably tell which channel they're on and you can connect. I'm sure as you start practicing this, that just becomes almost automatic at some point. And then I'm hearing you and I'm thinking, what a beautiful way and what a great tool to use to start manifesting what you want in your life. Because if you can't communicate with the, the, the people around you and the things, you know, whether it's employees or coworkers or whoever may be around you, friends, family, uh, to get, you know, where you're wanting to get and to get the collective to move in a certain direction, it's sometimes because there's just a lack of skill there. So just from, a mani- yeah, I'm sorry, just from a, manis- a manifestation of what you want in life, it's just huge. I agree with you. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm 75 and I'd be retired, but, you know, what does that mean? I can only read so many books and my dogs really don't need any more petting than I'm giving them. <laughs> and so, and COVID hit, and you know, I want to stay out of the, the masses, et cetera. So for the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of telephone appointments, private appointments. I've gotten really good at teaching NLP one-on-one over the phone. Um, you know, some people capture it, you know, in 10 minutes, other people, it takes an hour and a half. Uh, I don't charge by the, you know, by the time that there is a time that I, I have in my head, but some people just take longer to learn than others. And I don't punish or discipline them for that. I just go with the flow. And then I've done some classes. Uh, I've got a couple of online classes And if I can get over really enjoying being lazy and not really working like I used to, then I think in 2022, I'll be developing some more online classes. And we were talking about this the other day. And I said, well, again, I don't I don't need to do a lot of talking. What I need is for them to do the talking, for them to work together, for them to do the work, because it's in doing the work that the skills come through. We have a level one class that's about, I don't know, 15, 18 hours. And people coming out of the level one class would be able to go in a conversation and they could recognize eye patterns. And I would say to people, yes, I want you to practice this, but if you're practicing more than five minutes a day, you're overdoing it. It's child's play. Just practice five minutes a day. As soon as it becomes work, stop. That's not what you want to tell your unconscious mind. Oh, this is hard. This is work. We got to do this. No, 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 no. We want it to be play and fun. And oh, by the way, you're sitting watching somebody at a restaurant eat and you're noticing where the eye patterns are going. And then if you're close enough to eavesdrop, who cares anyway? You start listening to their language. You notice if their language is equaling the eye patterns. So it gets picked up very quickly. And again, once the unconscious mind, it's like the alphabet. How how many times did you say the alphabet before you got it? And as long as we had a song in there, bang, everybody's got the alphabet. We don't think about it today. Same thing with the eye patterns. Once it's in, it's in. And then then you begin to notice where you don't do it as well as you would like to. So I'm at people you, I can't do it for people. They have to do the practice themselves. I'm a big believer of give them a little bit of information, tell them what they have to practice, send them back into their family, send them back into their office, send them out to the social parties and practice, 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 practice. And all of a sudden you'll go, well, I don't need to practice this anymore. I'm already doing it. People would come back to class and say, well, it was just like a button turned on and I was brilliant. And I said, right, you were always brilliant. You just didn't program your brain to have all the pieces in place. It's embarrassingly easy to do. And I mean, when I, when I, before this conversation, when I was thinking of NLP or any exposure to it, I always thought of you know, the fingertips, like I want to manifest this in my life or I want to be more confident or whatever it would might be. And then you, then you use finger points. Can you, is, is there anything to that? Or is that maybe just a figment of my imagination? Well, it is in your imagination and there is something to that. <laughs> Perfect. So what they're doing is they're doing an anchoring An anchoring is already set up in the body 
um, your favorite song, a couple's favorite song. That's an anchor. You hear the song, you feel some way. You see the American flag, you know, people stand up. You, you're at the baseball game, the seventh inning, and everybody stands up. And, you know, we go through our ritual because we know what we're supposed to do. So anchoring, stimulus in, response. So you can use anchors to create a stimulus response. When I first started sharing NLP, and it was a small group, my first class was like six people. And they said, you know, that was going to that was it. I mean, that's all I was doing. And they came and said, well, my wife wants to take it. I want to send my business partner. You know, do you take children? And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. We'll do another one. And there were 12 people. And then in the next one, there were 20 people. And that was back in the early 80s when people were hungry and looking for NLP. I didn't have to sell it. They came flocking to the doors. Now, they came flocking to the doors because it was working. What we were doing, and I work as a team not necessarily as an individual. I don't want people just getting my belief systems. I want people getting into their belief systems that are going to work for them. So we like to work with a team. Anchoring by touching your fingers. Um, by the time I hit 30 people, you know, I would go, <sighs> okay, butterflies in my stomach. Take a deep breath. I got to go out in front of that group. Um, and so I have an anchor that's my thumb and two fingers together. Now, coincidentally, it happens to be a mudra and a mudra is a particular hand signal from, uh, don't quote me on this cause I could be wrong. An Indian meditation process. I mean, I just happened to click into that one, but it doesn't have a, it's not a mudra to me, to me, it's putting my three fingers together and saying, I will be calm, I will be relaxed, I will be confident, and I will give them exactly the information that they are looking to get. Not necessarily the information I want to give them, because it's all about the audience. And I will give them exactly the information that they are here to get, and I will make a difference. And I set that anchor in over and over and over again when I was calm and confident. I remember my, one of the larger classes that I was teaching, I don't remember whether there was a guest speaker or keynote speaker, uh, but I walked out and there were 600 people. And again, I was, ah, okay, butterflies in my stomach, because it never goes away. I mean, it can, but it never went away for me. And I put my three fingers together and I went up there and I did a great job. Now, I have no idea what I said, and the only reason I knew I did a great job was because enough people told me, oh, that was just perfect. I heard exactly what I needed to hear. Now, here's a funny story. Uh, my dad passed away several years back. Brilliant man. And my sisters, I'm one of nine. And my sisters said, would you do the eulogy? And I went, uh, sure. But I didn't think I was the best choice for the eulogy. And I said, why are you asking me to do the eulogy? And they said, well, because you're a public speaker and, and you'll do a good job and blah, blah. I said, okay, fine. I'll do the eulogy. So they sat down and they said, make people cry. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, so you want a sad eulogy. I mean, you can create sad, you can create happy, you can create anything. It's all in the language and how you sing your song. And I said, okay. So I did some thinking about it. Got an idea of what I was going to say. I'm sitting in the church. I'm in the front row. And the priest acknowledges that I'm going to come up and do the eulogy. And my sister leans over and she says, I changed my mind. Can you make them laugh? And I went, ah, okay gasp, butterflies in the stomach, put my three fingers together. Okay, calm, confident, ready to go. And let's make them laugh. And I got to tell you, there were some funny stories told that day. And they were laughing just the way my father would have invited them to be. 
So yes, what you're doing is you're setting an anchor. You can do that deliberately. We call it a resource anchor. Here's, a, here's another story. Um, one of my trainers had a resource anchor and it was a, he just kept stacking this one place, maybe like, a, you know, holding onto your ear, putting your fingers together. You want to have it someplace where it's not all the time. I mean, it's, it's, um, you don't want to use it for other things. It's kind of like it's only used for a resource anchor. So this guy would go in and when his intuition was correct, he would pull on his ear. Uh, Carol Burnett used to do that. That was her resource, her mother to her mother. Hi, mom. She would pull on her ear. So this guy pulled on his ear. Then he had a big success. He landed a big account. He pulled on his ear. Uh, his 20th wedding anniversary, it was a great night. He pulled on his ear. And he did this, and he, he literally stacked resources in his ear. Well, he was going out to um, Alabama, I think, and he was going to go call on a banker. And he had been working on this sale for quite a while. And he got to Alabama and he had taken sales manager with him. And he said, the sales manager looked at him and said, uh, you look a little green around the edges. And he said, I think I'm coming down with the flu. And he said, well, do you want me to go do this presentation? And he said, no, I've really kind of, you know, I need to do it. So they had breakfast and he got in the car and he pulled on his ear. And 15 minutes later, they were at the office and he presented the process, whatever it was. And it was like he wasn't sick at all. And they got back in the car and the sales manager said, man, what happened? I mean, you were really on top of your game. And this guy smiled and just said, yeah, I was really on top of my game. And, and they got the deal. It was a big, it was a big win for him, et cetera. And then he got home and he was sick for three days because the disease hadn't left his body, the flu. He just postponed it. That's a powerful anchor. Know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Magic. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. David, go ahead. I know you got some questions. Well, no, I was just thinking of grad school and finals, like, a couple of times when I was in grad school and I probably wasn't anchoring or doing anything like that, but I remember like I'd feel sick a couple of weeks before finals and then somehow like I'd be fine the week of finals. But the moment I got home within a couple hours on that Friday, boom, it hit me for three days and my body would deal with it. So just a similar story, but no, this is amazing how you could just build an anchor into certain things like that. And like you're saying, make it a, a, something unique for yourself to use over time. Well, people, people laugh at me. People laugh with me. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is people will call and say, I have an emergency. And I'll go, excuse me? I'm sorry. We scheduled those. <laughs> and they go, excuse me? I said, we schedule emergencies. You know, people, people go through emergencies. Uh, but if you really are in charge of your brain, your mind, then you schedule them and you're prepared for them. Because you know they're coming. Now, of course, when they come in like that, and we, we have to manage them, we have to handle them. But people learn. You can postpone things until you're ready for them. And there's a certain limitation to that. Uh, I'm, I'm in awe. Continuously, every day still. I am in awe of what we can do with our brain that we haven't even tapped into yet. And in your generation, you're going to tap into that big time and you're gonna be able to do miracles after miracles after miracles beyond what I've been doing for the last 40 years. And I can assure you, I do miracles. People call me and say, excuse me, could I have a miracle? Absolutely, I pass them out like candy. Uh, you can learn to do for other people with your mind. You can loan your mind out. Now, let's, it, it's, we have more than one brain. We have the head brain, the hard drive. We have the heart brain. And we now know in the medical community and science that they're not the same. They each have a different intelligence. And so that's the emotional brain. And then we have the gut brain. I've been teaching this for 40 years. My son said, well, mom, they finally caught up with you. 
I said, oh, I'll have to jump ahead a little bit here then. <laughs> so the gut brain and the gut brain is as powerful as the head brain and the heart brain together. So you've heard somebody say, well, I made a decision with my head, but my heart wasn't happy about it. No, my gut just wasn't there. I couldn't do that. So the gut brain is from birth to four years old. It's a very young child. You want to learn to discipline your gut. Oh, wait a minute. Discipline the gut. Does that mean disciplining what goes in your body in terms of food, drugs, alcohol, and all of that? Absolutely. So that's all gut. If you can't discipline your own inner child, how can you expect to succeed in the world? And then there's the heart brain. If you can't be compassionate and empathetic, then how are you going to get the head and the heart to work together? And then there's the head brain. And, and for most of us, that's what we've been using for our whole life is the head brain. Well, time to bring the heart into it. And even more important, it really is time to discipline the gut. Here's one. Did you know that in ancient times, the Aboriginal tribes and the African tribes and the North American tribes, anytime somebody autistic was born into the tribe, they became automatically the shaman? Now, what that. does that say about autism? Oh, wow. That's yes. So I look at the world from a very different point of view. People say, oh, this is a problem. I look and I go, no, it's a solution. But we just don't know what it's a solution to yet. John, I have uh, sorry, I had a question on the, just for the gut brain, heart brain, head brain. Uh, this, is, this is big into the, the yoga philosophy that, that I'd like to dive into. Um, you mentioned that the gut, gut brain was sort of developing over ages zero to four. Uh, is there you know, like sequential, you know, development of the heart brain from like four to seven, similar to, to some of the other things that you mentioned or, or how do the, how do those? Yes. Yes. The gut brain is developed between zero and four. And then the gut brain and the heart brain go through a mixed development between four and seven that's theta and that's the fight flight or freeze um process people know about fight or flight but they forget that there's also one of those that's called freeze and that happens between four and seven and that includes the heart and it includes the gut it's where the adrenals are it's actually higher than the adrenals but right in that area and what happens is that what was cute at four years old or two years old, spitting oatmeal all over the table and parents go, oh my God, that's so cute while they clean up the mess. And then the six-year-old kid bursts out laughing and spills, spews oatmeal all over the table. And the mother goes, Jesus, Johnny, now I'm going to have to clean that whole mess up. Okay, and there's a disconnect from, well, it was okay before. Why is it not okay now? And then when the baby teeth begin to fall out is the age of six and a half, seven. I believe in the Catholic church, it's the age where they can receive first communion for the first time. And that's because you're the first time considered to be the beginning of a age of reason. So age of reason starts at that age and goes to 14, 13 puberty. That's the heart. That's creative. That's artistic. That's coloring outside the lines and coloring inside the lines. And then we hit puberty and in indigenous tribes uh, up to puberty, it's mom's world. I mean, mom's got to pat them on the head, kick them in the butt, tell them they're doing a great job. You, you need to make your bed again. It's time to do the dishes. And then they hit puberty and all of a sudden, the father image comes in and the father goes, okay, now you need to learn how to be an adult. You need to learn how to make your way in the world. And the softness comes off some and it gets a little tougher so that when the 14 to 21, 22, 24, which is the head brain, 
you learn to make your mistakes, ideally at home, so that you don't have to make them as an adult out there. Uh, now look at the drug world and what happens to teenagers and they get on drugs. What happens is emotionally, they, get, they stop growing at the age they started doing drugs. So the kid was 14, started doing drugs. The emotional body has stopped growing. So the physical body grows up. So the head brain is there. And the emotional body is very immature and not adulterized uh, and has to grow up over all over again. And again, that's anchoring and a, a process called reframing, which we won't get involved in on this particular podcast. But anchoring can help the emotional body grow back up without having to necessarily go through the process of physically going through those ages again. Again, it's, it's, it's a lifesaver. Wow, that, that was awesome. I loved just hearing that get laid out. And uh, I mean, I can just imagine that so many people like those, those um, you know, drug toxins, but they can be chemical toxins too, I imagine, just environmental pollution that, that we bioaccumulate you know, over our lives where many of us, you know, I, I like to say this often when there's inflammation in our body, especially in our brain, we can't make those appropriate decisions. And no doubt when things get stuck, even as an emotional trauma, as a young age or what have you, it, you know, like you mentioned, the physical body keeps growing, but that emotional body really stalls. Uh, I mean, would you say that that, that would apply to not just drugs and, and maybe alcohol that get in early that it would be in relation to a lot of the other traumas that we face as, as kids? Too much sugar in a child's life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really quite simple. Yeah. Um, I didn't raise my children on sugar. I don't think my son had a cookie until he was four years old. Not that I was a mean mom. I just, you know, I never thought to introduce it. I thought, um, because I, I had taken courses very early on that, that taught me about the inside world, um, the visual auditory kinesthetic inside. At the age of 30, I had a cesarean with no anesthesia. Wow. So I am master of my world. My world does not master me. So I looked at that. And when my children were born, I went, well, they're a work in progress. So what if I never gave them sugar? Would they miss it? And to this day, I mean, he loves sugar, don't we all? But he doesn't eat a lot of sugar. Now, my daughter has twin girls, and when they were nine months old, her partner was giving one of the babies a Dorito. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, uh, well, being a bad mother-in-law, <laughs> I did not keep my mouth shut. Oh, wait a minute, is that being a good mother-in-law? I'm not sure. Uh, but I think I sufficiently embarrassed her enough so that, you know, they cut back a little bit on what they were doing. There's a reasonable amount of sugar to put in a child's life. Uh, you know, a pudding, a cookie. Uh, I, I know I laugh. I've had house guests in my house and I laugh because we kind of, you know, how long does it take you to eat a box of or a package of Oreos? And for me, uh, it takes me four months on the short end to go through a package of Oreos, just a small package. And I've got this one chef here that, that stayed with me for a while. And he said, oh, I can go through a bag of Oreos in two days. Oh, and I get it. Okay, I get it. Um, diabetes. Sugar. I have another house guest who... I've known since he was 19 years old and he came to me and he said he was 400 pounds. He said, I'm ready to find the real me. And I said, okay, then you need to be in a safe place because change takes place when people are safe. Safety is number one. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, you move in my house, you rent a bedroom and you stay here and we'll just take it by ear. Uh, eight months, 100 pounds. I didn't do anything except give him a safe place. I did take the sugar out of the kitchen. He asked me to. I said, I can do that. Um, 
he did that on his own. He walks six miles a day. This is eight months later. He just moved out the other day. He's gone back into the world, if you will, and, and he's ready for the next piece. He's lost 130 pounds. His diabetes is almost gone. And, you know, he says he eats a quarter of an apple. He goes, man, I can't believe how sweet those are. I can't eat more than a quarter. It's just, it's, it's vile. So it takes a year. You guys are doctors. It takes a year for the body to become new. Yeah. That's it. That's wow. it. Jen, you, know? you shared such amazing, amazing stories and information for us. I mean, I, I wish this podcast was at least two to three hours because I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface <laughs> of, of what you can teach, um, you know, if that. I, I want to learn more from you. I mean, I, as I'm hearing you speak, I just keep thinking of like, you know, how can I learn more? And I'm sure that people listening would also want to know. Um, so I know you, you said you do, uh, I guess, coach people. Uh, over the phone and whatnot. Uh, I know I, on your website, it has classes and things like that, but maybe that was for the time pre-COVID. But what, yeah, I guess, what, what can people do to, to learn more about how to uh, implement this into their lives? Email me and tell me that they want to learn. Um, I think I'm sitting on about 30 to 40 people right now that want a class. Uh, they want an in-person class. They'll be thrilled with an online class. Uh, I did one of our major courses online and, and over on Zoom, thinking that I could do it online. And I went, no, that one takes too much interaction. So we'll leave that one alone and we'll just bring it up every, you know, few months. Um, and if I have a conversation, you're, you're actually very accurate when you say, I'll know in a few minutes. Uh, an hour conversation with someone pretty well tells me what's missing what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And then I can take it from there and direct them to what's out here in the world uh, that they can take that's already existing. Like I said, I, I don't need to do all the work. There's so much good things out here today. Um, I don't know what 2022 looks like yet. I haven't done it. Um, so it's a mystery, and my, my, my personal assistant was down here in New Brunfels with me over the weekend, and I said, Cheryl, it's Dr. Cheryl, I said, um, I just looked up on the website the other day, and I, we haven't done anything since 2020. I said, who's in charge of the website? Because I don't even know. I mean, my team takes care of things. I don't even know. And she goes, uh, that would be me. And I said, oh, bummer. Well, it hasn't been updated since 2020. Could you take care of that? But I can tell you right now, unless I remind her, she's not going to know. I mean, she has a thriving practice. She does all that. So I need an upgrade. I, I don't need an upgrade. I'm probably going to create a new website to sell online classes, etc. We have some meditations that go inside people's consciousness and change theta and change alpha. So there's a lot available. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how I'm going to roll it out in this second wave. And partly because I'm enjoying being lazy. <laughs> Love it. Wow. That's awesome, Jen. Well, I mean, you gave us, you gave us some tools to start to access uh, some of the other dialogue that can happen, you know, if we're more dominant in one of those, those fields of learning or fields of communicating. So I know that there's some things that I'm going to put into practice just from listening to what you shared today. And uh, I'm sure Dave and I can start to practice with one another as well, even in our podcasts, as we ask the questions of the guests and maybe from those different orientations. But uh, it's such a blessing to, to for you to share your wisdom with us today. I'm so grateful, so grateful to you. I appreciate your asking me. Um, Parker, who was the one suggested it, his grandmother and I go way back. Hmm. And if you're inside the circle and you're a former student, and you ask me for things, if it's at all possible, I'm going to agree and we're going to make it happen. And that's how this came to be. Where it's going to go, you don't know. I don't know. It's just, I'm doing my part. You're doing your part. And how lucky we all got to come together. You two are charming. Hmm. Oh, thank you, Jan. Now, off, off the pod, you'll call me and I'll tell you what I saw. 
Yes, no, I'd love to. And Jan, I'm going to call you because I, I, I wanted to do some sessions with you. I know you're busy, but I'm going to get on, on that long list of people you have to possibly do some one-on-one -on -one with you. I do 24-7. People say, you work 24-7? I said, I do. Awesome. I take care of me and take appropriate time off yes. because my schedule is flexible and other people's are not. Love it. So much wisdom. Thank you yes. so much. And I'm going to do the same thing. And let me reach out to you as well. Uh, and, and I'm sure everyone listening is going to do the same. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing. And thank, thank you, Jen. Appreciate you. I very much appreciated this. All right. Be well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.